0: All uh, right. Welcome back to The Young Turks. I got some great guests for you guys now. Um, joining me now is Phyllis Bennis. She's a fellow at the Institute for Policy Studies. Uh, she also was a fellow of the Transnational uh, Institute in Amsterdam. She was part of the US Campaign for Palestinian Rights. She's written books called uh, Understanding the Palestinian-Israeli Conflict, uh, etc. Phyllis, welcome uh, to the program. Great to be with you. Thank you. And uh, Phyllis, look, it's uh, relevant to this story, so I bring up. The fact that you've written about this and, and you're uh, also a Jewish American, right? Right. Uh, so Phyllis, um, you were in the room with, when Ilhan Omar made the comments uh, about uh, so-called dual allegiance. So, I was. Um, can you give us the context for those comments?
1: You know, I'm so glad you asked that because so many people are looking at what is being reported about what Ilhan Omar said without looking at what she actually said. The context was very clear. She was talking about the influence of pro-Israel lobbies. She mentioned AIPAC at various points, but there's certainly others. Kufi, the Christians United for Israel, one of the most powerful and influential parts of the lobby. She was talking about the influence of the lobby on members of Congress. She wasn't talking about Jews. It had nothing to do with Jews, Jewish people, anything else. She was talking about how this lobby, one of the most Influential, very wealthy lobby uses its money like every other lobby. And she mentioned uh, the NRA. She mentioned the uh, the big pharma lobby. So she was talking about the the problem of lobbies, but focused on the issue of the pro-Israel lobby because we were talking about Palestinian rights at the time. She was talking about Palestinian rights. So that was the context. She wasn't talking about Jews are uh, have some sort of dual allegiance or anything like that. So the notion that this was anti-Semitic really makes no sense because she wasn't even talking about Jews. There was nothing anti-Semitic about it. So Phyllis. In, yeah.
0: In fact, what wasn't she in that particular part of the, the talk talking about how people use uh, things like this to distract from the real issues and that it's a way to get out of a conversation about what really, we really should do about Israeli-Palestinian. Uh, conflict and in fact, isn't that exactly what happened with this specific speech?
1: Exactly. Of course, we're not now talking about Palestine enough. I would say that if we take a few steps back from the this sort of crisis, this manufactured crisis of the last several days, what we do see is somewhat good news. People are starting to ask these questions about, as the New York Times put it, does APAC have too much power and influence? And then proceeded to write an article whose tone was kind of, yeah, they do. And that's crucial, because for so long, it's been considered outside the bounds of, of acceptable discourse, particularly in Washington, to talk about the pro-Israel lobby, to talk about AIPAC, to talk about KUFI, especially to talk about their success. They're not the only reason for the success, but they're part of the reason that the u s. sends three point eight billion dollars of our tax money every year directly to the Israeli military. I don't think too many people know that. And you know, you can say that, well, three point eight billion, how much money is that? it's It sounds like a lot, but it also sounds like you could say a gazillion, and it would not mean very much. But if we put it in terms of what else could happen, I, I ran some numbers this afternoon. And what I found was that same 3.8 billion dollars that we're sending to the Israeli military every year, if it was spent here at home, it could provide for 68,400 good infrastructure jobs in the U.S., or it could pay for 367,800 veterans to get health care. Now, which do we think is more important, the Israeli military or jobs and veterans' health care? You know, we don't invade, and invest enough. Sort of energy into figuring out answers to that because we don't get asked the right questions. It, Representative Omar was asking the right questions. You know, Phyllis, I,
0: if here there is a little bit of—I don't like this term—but a little bit of identity politics being played. Because if if a, a Jewish Americans such as yourself ask that question, it's perceived as well. Okay, I guess that's a legitimate question. Uh, but if Ilhan Omar in a, a hijab asked that question, whoa, what do you mean? Uh, you know, are, are you saying we shouldn't support Israel? Why are you saying that? And then a lot of assumptions are layered on to her intent.
1: Exactly, people are making assumptions about what she really meant, given what she said. She never said. Jews have dual loyalties. She never said Jews aren't good citizens of whatever country they live in, this country or any other. She was talking very specifically about the influence of a lobby on members of Congress. And instead, she gets attacked for anti-Semitic statements that she never made. She gets attacked for anti-Jewish prejudice that she never expressed expressed. She gets attacked for some kind of hatred of Jews that she doesn't hold. So it's absolutely true that if she were not a black African immigrant, Somali refugee, hijabi Muslim, strong woman member of Congress. I don't think we would be having this same conversation. It's not necessarily true that when I say it or one of the organizations I work with is Jewish Voice for Peace and you know we have rabbis we have jews and non-jews jews of color jews not of color all around the country and we get plenty of pushback also it's not to say that it's so easy to talk about this for anyone else but it's a whole different level i've been talking about this stuff for years and i don't get treated like this you know uh, somebody ran on twitter yesterday a listing of a bunch of examples not com- not all of it it's not comprehensive but just a few examples of the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, the Wall Street Journal, all talking about how they use the term allegiance in articles, not not quoting anybody, but just talking about the White House was expressing its allegiance to Israel. Members of Congress eager to express their allegiance to the state of Israel. Candidate X expressing his or her allegiance to the state of Israel, they use that language all the time. And nobody thinks anything of it, nor should they, because what they're talking about is a set of political realities in this country, where support for Israel, as we heard from Congressman, uh, the, the, the congressman out in California a day or two ago, who said questioning the US-Israeli alliance is unacceptable. Yeah. Unacceptable to question it, yet that relationship leads to us spending, as I mentioned, $3.8 billion a year on the Israeli military. It leads to the US protecting all Israelis from being held accountable in the United Nations. It leads to the US providing all the military support needed for Israel to maintain its often war crime level violations of international law in how it uses those weapons against Palestinians. So the US is complicit in all of that. So if we don't question the US-Israeli alliance, we are more complicit than ever. We need to question it. We need to challenge it. Right. And the notion that that's anti-Semitism really sort of boggles the mind.
0: And in fact, today, Ronna McDaniel, head of the RNC, went on TV and said, uh, being anti-Israel is being anti-Semitic.
1: Well, I gotta say, I grew up in a in a kind of Judaism that was, I think, typical for my generation in the in the 50s and 60s, where if you were Jewish, it was all about Israel. That was what there was. We didn't have options. What's so amazing now, and the reason that I think that we are in an incredibly important transitional moment, is that young Jews have options now. Young Jews who want to identify as, as with their Jewish heritage don't have to say, and I support Israel as a result. They have a left, a right, and a center. There still are the groups like APAC, the Council of Presidents, the Jewish Federation Council, other organizations who routinely and uncritically support everything Israel does. Then you have groups sort of in the center, groups like J Street, who are critical of certain aspects of Israeli policy, but still define themselves as being pro-Israeli. Then on the left, you have very large organizations like Jewish Voice for Peace, which supports Palestinian rights, supports BDS. You also have smaller organizations, the If Not Now, uh, Bending the Arc, uh, Open Hillel, a host of organizations of young Jews who are saying, you know what, that's not how we identify. We don't see Israel as the basis of our identity. We are Americans, we are British, we are French, we are whatever we are. We identify as Jews because that's our religion, it's our culture and heritage. But that is not about Israel. So it's a whole new set of options now that young Jews in the past didn't have. And with that shift in discourse, of course, it means now we can start to talk about what's going on in Palestine.
0: Look, I said this a while back, and I'm sure it'll be considered controversial in some circles, but I'll repeat it here. I think young Jews in America are gonna save the day. And the reason I say that is, they're obviously more progressive, and by saving the day, I mean, one, bring some sort of fairness and justice to American policy. Uh, But number two, ending the occupation and number three, helping Israel stop being an international pariah and get to the moral high ground and actually get the peace. Because these right wing governments are never gonna lead us to peace. Because they profit off of war and division and hatred and fear. That's how they win elections. Their self-interest is against the interest of Israel and the Palestinians and America. But I think that young Jews in America see that and they have power. And I think this is the beginning of them along with Ilhan Omar and the others using that power to say, no, we're gonna pursue justice and not just the right wing government of Israel.
1: Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right, except I would add to that, you're putting an awful lot on the shoulders of young Jews. Luckily, young Jews right now are building incredible coalitions with young African Americans, with young Latinx, with, with young Muslims, with young people from all over the place. It's There's an internationalism, a new internationalism growing, and young Jews are certainly part of it. They're not the only ones, they're not leading it necessarily everywhere, but they are part of it for the first time. Now, whether they can have that kind of influence on what happens inside Israel is still a question. But there's little question that we can have that kind of influence led by young Jews and young people of of all religions and all backgrounds. We can have that influence on what our government does. So even if we can't stop the Israelis from everything they are doing to deny equality to Palestinians, to deny Palestinians their human rights, we can make sure that our government's policies are based on equality for all and human rights, not based on supporting the Israeli military as step one and everything else must stem from that. But saying no, this isn't about building up militaries, this isn't about approving the Israeli nuclear arsenal that is so destabilizing in the Middle East. This is about justice and that means equality, international law and human rights. It's not that complicated, and because we're now seeing in these movements, in the Palestinian rights movement, in the anti-racist movements, in all of these movements, we're seeing a different kind of discourse that's based on the notion of rights. We're fighting for Palestinian rights, not about states, one state, two states, red state, blue states. I don't get to say that. I'm a Jewish girl from California. What right do I have to say how many states there should be over across the ocean? But what I do have a responsibility for is to make sure that what my government does with my tax money in my name is all about equality and justice and human rights and not about building up these militaries that are so destabilizing and that are used to deny the human rights of another people.
0: All right, Phyllis Benes, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody check out. We'll put a link down below if you're watching this later on YouTube or Facebook to her article in The Nation, uh, the Democratic Party attacks on Ilhan Omar are a travesty. Uh, Please read that cuz it has the full context of what happened that day, what actually happened. Phyllis, thank you for sharing that story with us, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, it's been a pleasure.
0: All right, when we come back, I'm gonna have co-president of uh, the National Nurses United. They are the biggest champions for Medicare for All. the most, in my opinion, wonderfully progressive union in the country. Don't miss this interview, we'll be right back. Okay, back on a Young Turks, uh, joining me now is Jean Ross, she's co-president of National Nurses United and they're doing something really interesting to fight for Medicare for All. So Jean, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to have you here. Uh, so uh, let's first talk about uh, the Medicare for All proposal that was just announced in the, House. So the Uh, People have a sense of what it stands for. Um, So I had Neera Tannen on the program just yesterday, and she was fighting for Medicare extra for all, which is kind of a halfway step between what we have now and Medicare for all. What's the proposition you guys are fighting for?
2: Well, we're fighting for the real Medicare for all. So we are telling people, please don't be uh, fooled by imposters. It's a system that single payer government um, paid for, and it will cover everybody in the country. And we, when we say everybody, we really mean all. It also will include benefits that we have fallen behind in on Medicare. So vision, dental, that kind of thing. There will be no cost at point of care. It'll be open for everybody from the minute that you're born.
0: So Jean, why are the nurses so animated about this? Because you've really kind of made this a, a mission. Uh, so yeah, tell us why it, you, all of you as a union decided this was so important to you.
2: Well, basically because we're nurses, um, we are charged with looking out for the public's health. We advocate for patients and their families. So this is a logical step. We've actually been fighting for it for decades now, but now we see a chance when we look at the the surveys and what we know anecdotally from talking to people around the country, that people really are ready for the concept. And we believe it's a basic human right. Nothing can change that. I've been a nurse for over 40 years. I've seen how the hospital and system and the drug uh, companies try to squeeze every last dime out of the system that they can. And we're left with the point that they're at now, which is the only way to save more money for them, they're very greedy. The only way is to deny care, and it's literally killing people in this country.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good thing to be animated over if you're a nurse and you see it happening right in front of your eyes. Uh, so uh, what, what is this effort that you guys are gonna put uh, together that's a grassroots movement to help this piece of legislation?
2: Well, we're going to do what we usually do, which we find works, is to actually talk to people face-to-face. So to that end, we are going door-to-door. We're doing uh, phone banking. Um, it's amazing to me how many people really, really want to help, both to get educated, to educate other people so that you can speak on the topic and know what you're talking about and get, get other people involved. Not everyone belongs to a union, so we're having these open houses Uh, our barnstorm events, we call them, so that people can get educated and they're very excited about it.
0: And so what what do you guys mean by barnstorming?
2: Go everywhere, keep going until everybody understands. Normally, for example, if we would be protesting, you would take it to the streets, so to speak, and we're not above doing that, of course, demonstrations. But right now, it's an effort to really educate and get people involved because most people do want to do something, they think it's that important.
0: And what are they doing? Are they calling their congressmen? What are they doing?
2: They are, but I think the bigger effort is to talk to their neighbors and friends and get the word out and say, this is the Medicare for all that you want, it's the bill that uh, Pramila Jayapal just put forward. And don't be fooled by imposters, what we call Medicare light or Medicare like. This is what we need. It's very comprehensive. And I think all other uh, Medicare bills that might come forward have to be the same. And I don't think there will be one just like it.
0: Yeah, my favorite uh, is some are calling some of those other bills Medicare for some
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, it doesn't. That doesn't poll as well, I imagine. Um, so, uh, actually, I do want to talk about those other bills because a lot of the mainstream media say, "Well, it's the same thing, right?" I mean, you've got a Medicare buy-in that uh, Sherrod Brown might be in favor. No, Sherrod Brown, I think, he wants to lower it to fifty-five. So, okay, but right. not to forty-five or fifty-four, just to fifty-five. Then there's the Medicare buy-in, and then there's the Medicare Extra program from Center for American Progress, which would eventually kind of get to Medicare for all about 30, 40 years from now, so so that you could explain it to the folk and folks in the rest of the media who don't understand. Why are you guys opposed to that? Cuz they view it as, if not the same, very, very similar.
2: We've had all kinds of incremental change in this country, if there were a better way to do. This rather than single payer, other countries would have figured it out before we did, because we've been so opposed to it. If you do a buy in, if you do just simply lowering the age, we always think we're gonna get there eventually. That's what the ACA was supposed to do. The only way to do it is to get the insurance companies out. And we do need to do this and we have plans for what people working in those positions will do instead of what they're doing now.
0: So Gene, they're trying to create panic by saying, But you know, you lose your private insurance under Medicare for All, and Americans uh, generally like their private insurance. How do you respond to that?
2: I honestly haven't met anyone yet that has so-called Cadillac plan that really likes their insurance, loves their insurance. I live in Minnesota myself, and as far as being able to choose my doctor, I haven't been able to truly choose a doctor in years, because you go where your insurance company says you will go. In this plan, Medicare for All, new and improved, you will be able to see the doctor you want, the nurse practitioner you want. You will be able to go where you want, regardless of someone telling you it's not in network.
0: I always find it funny that under Medicare for All, you can go to any hospital you like and any doctor you like, but they say, but no, people are really attached to their insurance, not necessarily to their doctor's. Really? No. I don't know anyone attached to their insurance. They might like their doctors that they think they're getting from their insurance, but-
2: Yes, you form a relationship with your doctor and your nurse, you don't form it with some administrator in an insurance company.
0: Yeah, and when you're dealing with an administrator in an insurance company, those are not usually happy days, (laughs) right? And so, look, I mean, it takes me a month sometimes to get a checkup under private insurance. Uh, in I Since I couldn't choose my doctor, they kept switching different residents at UCLA that would treat me and I didn't have a choice. So under private insurance, I couldn't choose my doctor.
2: <laughs> no, yeah. so many private insurances, they, they, they tell you you are covered, but truthfully you're not because you can't afford to use it the the premiums, the deductibles and cost at point of care. I don't think we can overemphasize how difficult that is depending on your circumstances to to say to yourself, "Oh my goodness, I feel really bad today. I ought to go in." But, you know, that's another 25 bucks or another 50 bucks or even 75, you're not going to go. So it's not just the uninsured, it's the underinsured, those who can't afford to use what they've got.
0: Yeah, and the idea that people like deductibles is I've never met an actual individual that likes deductibles, and so all this is in defense of the current industry is quite preposterous. So, Gene, what do you think is going to happen to Jayapal's bill? So, I look. If we're keeping it real, the Republicans obviously are not going to pass it in the Senate, and Trump would veto it, even though he said he would do universal health care coverage. But he's a pathological liar, so no one's surprised by that. (laughs) Okay, so. Uh, but are the De- but the Democrats do control the House? Do you think they're going to vote on Jayapal's bill?
2: You know, I don't know what we're doing on our end here. Is to to get the groundswell building, building, always building, because eventually that's the only thing in this country that's ever worked is when the people really insist on it, and we will get there. And if not tomorrow, twenty twenty is coming up.
0: Yeah, and Gene, how about the other unions? So the nurses union has just been a lion, a giant on this. Uh, but um, what do you think the other unions are on this, on this issue?
2: Well, actually, we were surprised at the number of co-sponsors that Representative Jayapal got on this one. I think it's, what is it, 147 now? It's over 140 sponsors, co-sponsors. So um, other unions have hopped on board that weren't necessarily the last time around when, for example, Bernie Sanders put the proposal forward. So I'm hoping that even more will hop on board now. And we aren't just talking to our neighbors. We're talking to our union brothers and sisters also and explaining why we should all be behind it.
0: Okay, uh, the website's nationalnursesunited.org. And uh, Jean, can people- um Participate in the barnstorms by going to that website?
2: They can. They could also go to Medicare for All, the number four, A L L, dot org, and that will get them there also.
0: Okay. Medicare, the number four, and then all dot org. Okay. Gene, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. And thank you for being one of the leaders
2: in this fight. Well, thank you for having us on. We appreciate the help.
0: No problem. Can do. That's what we're here for. We're home of progressives. So, uh, guys, we've got a great post game coming up for you guys. Now, there's a lot of uh, heat in today's uh, program. (laughs) We are going to lighten it up a little bit in the post game. Uh, We're going to, and we, I don't know if it's luckily, but barely talked about Trump at all. Uh, But he did do something goofy. So, we'll make fun of him in the post game. That's for the members. So, that'll be fun. Uh, And, There's so many stories today, but that broke, they didn't allow us to come back and and do uh, more. Uh, But we'll see if we can pick up some of those stories as well. Because if you're a member, we try to give you the last half hour just for you guys, uh, now that we're doing a three-hour show. So uh, tyt.com slash join to become a member, tyt.com slash trial if you wanna try it for a week. And uh, and we've got those stories coming up for you guys uh, right now, if you're a member. We'll see you there.